And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. I think most of you understand that Chris and Daryl and I are teachers. And uh, as teachers, we are trying our best to show you information that you can put to work as a do-it-yourself investor. And here's one of the things that the whole industry believes, that there are thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of ways to configure a portfolio. And at the end of the day, what we should all be looking for is the best unit of return per unit of risk that is not too complex to accomplish, but also to have found a certain peace of mind about the natural volatility in the market that will allow you to stay the course. And the reality is most people don't stay the course. I run into people all the time who are in their 40s and 50s still looking for some strategy that they could stay the course. And the real hang-up, the real problem, I think, is uh, simply that investors are not prepared for the reality of investing. And uh, it doesn't work like they thought it was going to work. So when you look at all of the tables, we have over 200 uh, tables. In fact, I've got four more to add to the pile today. We have lots of these tables that the purpose is to try to give you perspective of what the ride is going to be like. And so this is a podcast where I can't put anything up on the screen. We will do this in the future where we do it in the form of a video. But I really would like you, before I start speaking, that that you would stop and download the four tables uh, there are links at uh, at the at the uh, notes uh, for this presentation. So, here's what I want to show you, and I was motivated by some work that Ben Carlson did. In fact, if we if we look at the first of these tables, it is the one that covers the S and P 500 index portfolio historical risk and return. And uh, underneath that, it says 1928 to 2022 annualized calendar year total returns. Now, this is approximately the same as what Ben Carlson put together. We've added some more information beyond what, what, what he gave us. But what this does, this page, this single page, it puts volatility and uh, the reward for risk uh, and, and, and in the long term, and the nature of short-term movements in the market, and how they, uh, how they can turn us inside out and turn us from saying we're a buy and holder to acting like a market timer. So let me tell you about this table for those of you who didn't download it. It has many time periods starting 
one, two, three years, then it jumps to five years, then it jumps to 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, 35 years, and 40 years. This will tell us, number one, what was the range of returns for one-year periods? What did people who invested in all of those one-year periods since 1928 what was the average compound annualized growth rate? And how many periods were there? Well, I said it was a 95-year period, so there are 95 periods. And then not only do we get to know that there are uh, uh, a lot of losses along the way. In fact, there were 26 of the 95 years, or 27.4% of the time, about one out of four, that the market lost money. And so in this one line, I see that the worst year was a loss of 43.3. The best year was a gain of 54%. And if you were there the whole period, your compound rate of return average, by the way, this is the average of all of the years, it's different than the compound rate of return. But the, but the average return was 11.8%. But we had to lose money a quarter of the time, approximately. Now, when you go out to two, three, and five years, these were all periods that did sustain losses along the way. Again, you're going to find uh, that it's going to happen um, about a quarter of the year's returns will be losses. But what we find out is that the range of annualized returns over two years are a minus 34.8 to a profit of 41.7. So by looking out over two years, it, it, it lowered the volatility. You still don't like looking at all those possible losses. But in this case, when you had losses uh, at the end of two years, it was only in 16 of the 94-year period. So you, you did much better if you held for two years than if you did for one. The worst loss is better. The best gain is not as high. And the average of all those two-year periods from 1928 to 2022, the average return was 10.8. When you go to three-year, all the three-year periods, there were 93 three-year periods. We see that the worst three-year period was a loss of 27%. That is compounded, by the way. That isn't just one year. That is the three-year period was a compounded annual growth rate of 10.5%. Uh, of but there was a three-year period. You would have lost a compound rate of return of 27%. Now, that's, those are big losses. This is stuff that happened back in the 30s. And we could ignore them and pretend they didn't exist. But we put them in there. I think it's legitimate because it's 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 just it's the reaction of investors to the the state of the union and uh, sometimes the state of the union 
uh, doesn't look so good to a lot of people and the prices go down. But here is the good news. As we go out three years, and we have 93 of those, only in 15 of those three-year periods did you end up with a loss. So, so you're getting better. Uh, the volatility is going down. In fact, when we get to five years, what we find is that the worst five-year period for the S&P 500 was a loss annualized, compound loss of 12.5%. And the best five years was again compounded at 28.6. And now we have had only 15 losing periods if you could hold it for three years. Five years, you have 11 losing periods. Ten years, you have four losing periods. And that range, now you held it for 10 years and it is possible that you could have established a loss at the end of those 10 years. Because there was, in fact, there were four 10-year periods that the final result, by the way, that's out of 86, that's only 4.7% of the 10-year periods that you would have gone through if you lived through that whole period of time. But the return continues to narrow. The worst case was a minus 1.4%. The best case was a compound rate of return of 20.1. And the average was 10.6 for those 86 10-year periods. And then we go to 15 years. Now we finally have everything in the plus column. From a 0.6, a compound rate of return of 0.6% over 15 years. It wasn't much, but it wasn't a loss. Up to, by the way, 18.9% in the best 15-year period. Now, you keep getting better when you go to 20 years. The worst was a 3.1% compound rate of return. There were no losing 20-year periods. Go to 25 years, and the compound rate of return the worst was 5.9. You go the 30 years, the worst was 8.5. You go the 35 years, the worst was a gain of 8.7 compounded. And finally, when you get to 40 years, the worst 40-year period was 8.9% and the best was 12.5. So one year at a time, you had to be willing to, to end up with a return, more than likely, somewhere between a negative 43 and a positive 54. And if we look out over many years, that range, when you go out 40 years, and I'm thinking of the young people that I teach and how I want them to understand there is all of this noise you have to go through. You have to get through the possibility of a bad year and a bad two years and a bad three and a bad five years and even a bad 10 years. But for those who were willing to put up with that volatility, that unpredictability, there is nobody who can tell you what that series of returns are going to be and what we want you to be able to be is, in fact, a long-term investor committed to staying the course in, through thick and through thin. 
And when I look at this page of numbers, I think of all the people over the years when I have said that you could use a 9 to 10% compound rate of return for the S&P 500 over a lifetime, they have there have been people, every time I write about that, somebody will write and say, well, where could I possibly get 10%? And so it seems to me that what they're really saying is, or asking if they understand the history of the stock market, is where can I get 10% without having to go through the tough times to get there? Because everybody, almost everybody, will end up going through some tough times. We hope it's in the early years, not in the later years, but they might be the later years. And I think it's important to note that these returns are, do not reflect inflation. They do not reflect taxes. They do not reflect a management fee. This is just the return of hypothetical indexes that have been developed by the by mostly by the academic community. But the story it tells is that if you look at any 10-year period or any 20-year period, I've told you some months ago about what my wife and I had done for our granddaughter and put away money to go into the stock market as our hope was what this particular money would be for the stock market until she retires. But I'm hoping by the time she's 18 to 20 years old, when she will first find out about this investment, that she will have, in fact, gone through some of that. And that likely at the end of 20 years, her return would be somewhere in between 3.1 and 17.9. And that somewhere in there, she probably had to lose a lot of money on a short-term basis to understand that's the way it works. And maybe this is the kind of a table we should be showing to younger people that we know are just getting started so they'll understand what that ride is going to be like. Now, I also want to highlight, this does not include inflation. And if you apply inflation, and I think we're going to, we're going to, do the same thing with these tables, except we'll, inc we'll include the, the impact of inflation because it's going to look very, very different. Because I just for fun, that 8.9% that over the 40-year period, the worst 40-year period was 8.9% gain compounded, and the best was 12.5. Those are all great returns over the long term. But what is interesting is the impact of inflation. Uh, the worst 40-year period started in 1930 and ended in 1969. And over that period of time, it made 8.9%. But if you adjust the return for inflation, it made 6.7%. So in a sense, that is... Uh, that would be adjusted then for the cost of inflation over that particular 40-year period. If you had owned the 40-year period from 1950 to 1989, 
While it shows 12.5 without inflation, it was 7.9 with inflation. So whether you had the what was the worst period or the best period, the return inflation adjusted is very close. Now, I'm going to guess that there were periods that the S&P 500 uh, did worse than 6.7 inflation adjusted. Those tables are going to come later. And by the way, I might also mention, I, I looked at the at the worst 10-year periods, uh, and, and uh, uh, from 29 to 38, 1929 to 1938, inflation adjusted, the S&P 500 lost 3.9% a year. If you were in the S&P from 2000 to 2009, inflation adjusted, the loss was 3.4% which is one of the reasons why I think it's important to look back and take into consideration uh, the bad times, because I do believe those bad times do happen again, and we do have to be prepared for them. People like me, I'm 80, uh, you know, I don't want it to happen in the next 10 years. <laughs> but if you're, if you're in your 20s or your 30s, there's no reason to panic because you go through some tough times. But I, that inflation adjustment, that's an important aspect, and we'll talk more about that uh, when we get those tables. But now I want to take a look at the returns of small cap value. I am not recommending you put your, all your money in small cap value, but I have been a, a, a strong advocate of combining the S&P 500 and small cap value. Uh, not always 50-50. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, it could be anywhere from 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% small cap value as far as I'm concerned, and the S&P 500 uh, in, uh, in, in the rest of the portfolio. But sometimes when you look at our work going back to 1970, it, you don't really see the, the high risk of small cap value. But when we take you back to 1928, it now becomes pretty obvious that small cap value is more risky. So remember we talked about those 1, 2, 3, 5, and 10-year periods that the S&P 500 had some losses, some losing periods. When we do this, take the same look at small cap value, what we find is, for example, at one year, the worst year is a loss of 55.4 instead of 43.3. And the best gain was a gain of 124, almost 125, versus a gain of 54 for the S&P 500. And so in those shorter periods of time, as you look at the two tables, you will see that the small cap value out to about 15 years is going to be, well, actually, by 15, yeah, out to 15 years, you're going to be uh, better off in terms of worst-case uh, scenario uh, with small-cap value. Now, remember, it's a very small number of years this happens. In the, in the case of, uh, of the uh, S&P 500, if we go out 10 years, there were only, remember, there were 86 10-year periods. 
only four of those were losers. When we look at all of the 10-year periods of the small cap value, uh, only three of them were losers, but the worst period was a negative 7.1%. Now, that, that's, of course, what happened to people back in the 30s. They lost a lot of money, but it, it, didn't, it wasn't gone. It, it was just reduced in value. But by the time you get out to 20 years, the returns for small cap value, the worst and the best, uh, are definitely uh, in the, to, to an advantage uh, to uh, the small cap value. I mean, just I'll go out 30 years. For example, S&P 500, 8.5% is the worst, and the best was 137 If I go out 30 years with small cap value, uh, the best was 8.4%, uh, about the same, but the but the uh, the uh, the best was 22.7. So you had a, a a wider range to the upside with small cap value, and by the time you get out to 40 years, and this is really important for my college kids students to to understand. The 40-year ex experience for small cap value was from a gain of 11.6% for 40 years to a gain of 19.1% as the best 40-year period. And the average compound annualized growth rate for those 56 years was 16.2%. And I'm not suggesting that in today's market, we should expect 16.2% because uh, the small cap value was an asset class people didn't understand back then. And now you all do, and so do a whole a lot of other people. Um, but the, the, the point is, is that in order, if you, if you have the risk tolerance to add some small cap value, it should generate even to better uh, worst-case scenario and, uh, and much better uh, in the best-case scenario. So, But again, since I'm not advocating that you put all your money at small-cap value, and since we do have a strategy that combines small-cap value with the S&P 500, let's take a look at those numbers. And since we know that we're going to, in this particular case, have a 50-50 position, that that's going to be simply um, some a combination that will bring down the better returns of small cap value and and bring up and bring up some of the worst conditions with the small cap value. So the S and P five hundred will make it look better in the bad times, and small cap value will make it look, at least based on the past, better in the good times. So when you combine them. I want you to know you still have to fight through the same one, two, three, five, and 10-year periods that it was losing money. And, and, and so let's just pop out to the 10-year period with the, the uh, two-fund strategy. With the S&P 500 itself, the worst case compound rate of return was a negative 1.4%, and the best was 20.1%. When you combine the 50-50 with small cap value, the worst case 
is a negative 3.3, and the best case is a positive 23.8. So uh, you may not remember, but before, with the small cap value out at 10 years, remember that's where it was a negative 7.1%. So you've cut, you've cut the, the really bad, bad losing 10-year period uh, in half, basically. And um, and ended up with an average compound annualized growth rate of all the 10-year periods of 13.2 versus 10.6 with the S&P 500 uh, on its own. So uh, it 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 shows that. The S&P 500 added to the more profitable but also more volatile. It doesn't get rid of the volatility, but it moderates the volatility. And when we go out the 40 years, uh, the combination of the two, interestingly enough, uh, the worst-case 40-year period is 10.8. The uh, best 40-year period was 16%. Now, when we compare that to the S&P 500 on its own, the best was a uh, 12.5. So the 40-year average for S&P is 11. The 40-year for the combination of the two is 13.9. So maybe people who have a short period of life to, uh, to invest left they may not want to add small cap value. Now, remember, again, these bad times didn't happen very often. Uh, even uh, that uh, under the two-fund strategy, the worst 10 years was an, a negative 3.3. And there were three of the 86 10-year periods that it lost money. So the odds are in your favor. You're going to get something a lot better than a negative 3.3. But we have to say that's always out there waiting in the weeds for somebody. And now the fourth table, the table that represents the four fund strategy. This was the biggest surprise of all. Because we've been showing the uh, two fund strategy and the four fund strategy and the two-fund strategy has uh, a higher expected return. Uh, close, they're close. Uh, but but I, had, I had thought that the two-fund strategy would have an advantage with half of the money in uh, small cap value instead of 25% of the money in the four-fund strategy. For people who don't remember or know, the four-fund strategy is 25% each of S&P 500, uh, small cap value, large cap value, and small cap blend. And uh, so you're half large, you're half small, you have more value than you do growth, and but you have a whale of a lot of uh, diversification. But here's what I found interesting. When I looked at the the, the shorter periods, uh, the four-fund strategy uh, did actually, in some cases, show a little bit more risk, but varied. I mean, it's almost a, a toss-up. In fact, the differences are statistically meaningless. Uh, the amount of money that was made on the upside uh, was was 
was not as 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 uh, much as I thought. In fact, uh, if you go out to ten years, uh, you'll notice twenty four point four percent for the four fund strategy, twenty three point eight for the two fund strategy. And uh, and by the way, the the average uh, compound annualized growth rate for the two fund strategy was uh, 13.2% and the four fund strategy, 13.1%. When we get out to 40 years, uh, the compound rate of average compound annualized gain for the two fund is 13.9%, for the four fund, 13.8%. If you go out 30 years, one is 13.8%, the other is 13.9%. What that tells me is that the the long-term return, whichever way you go, I think is going to be very similar. Uh, in the one case, when you have the two fund strategy, you have um, you have some large cap value, but it certainly isn't twenty five percent of the portfolio. Uh, when you have the four fund strategy, you've got. 25% in small cap value and 25% in large cap value. Uh, so there are opportunities in different kind of market environments. In fact, I think if a person had two different accounts, uh, that it wouldn't be a bad idea uh, to use the two fund in one and the four fund in the other. So uh, uh, I, my, my major hope in, in putting this together was to give people uh, a, a sense of the kind of volatility you might have to go through uh, to be a long-term investor, and that that the key to success, above all, remember there are thousands and thousands of portfolios that have worked, but you had to be able to stay the course and stay invested to have them work for you. So let's talk about how this might be used. My wife and I are 50-50 stocks and bonds. And uh, that obviously brings the volatility down a lot from what you see in these tables that are all about all equities. Maybe we have 15 years. That means I could live till 95 I never expected to live to 80, so this is this is uh, this is bonus period I'm in right now. With the four fund table, I can see that over the worst 15 years was basically a break even, up 0.6 percent compounded. I also know that uh, the average compound annualized growth rate uh, over all of those. 81 15-year periods was 13.3%. Again, all equity. And I'm only half. We're only half. So I feel pretty good about having half of our money. I use We use the 10-fund strategy. Um, but we know that the four-fund strategy and the two-fund strategy are a lot easier to do. But uh, it gives me hope that uh, we are making a good long-term decision if we 
whether we use the S&P 500 or you use the two fund or the four fund or something that other people are recommending, there are, again, thousands of ways to put these things together. And, uh, of course, our hope is is that you're one of those do-it-yourselfers that will actually stay the course, save having to pay an advisor, uh, and, uh, and, and, and hopefully... This is information you'll pass on to your children and people at the office. Um, I find these tables to be fascinating. And, and to give an overview of, of risk that is different than what we've done with our fine-tuning tables. If you remember, in the fine-tuning tables, we take every combination of stocks and bonds for all of the portfolios that we track. We show you the worst year. We show you the worst three years. We show you the worst five and and and, and let's see in five years. That's right. Uh, and so uh, we 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 try to show you the worst case scenario there. But I think this shows it in a different way, and it does go back to 1928. And I think there's value in that because if you can survive this whole period, uh, and you've got time on your side. Uh, I, I I really do think that uh, uh, any of these are le- are legitimate ways to invest for the long term, and uh, we'll be continuing to work on these tables uh, and learn more. Uh, and um, I certainly want to try to do something eventually on inflation adjusted numbers, give perspective to that, uh, and um, and. And possibly look at other of the portfolios that uh, that we have listed in our sound investing uh, uh, tables for all the portfolios. So if you have questions about these tables, email me, paul at paulmerriman.com. Um, and maybe we'll have a, a threesome. Chris and Daryl and I can do a, a, a video and uh, and respond to some of those questions. Uh, we try to get to them all, sometimes don't, but uh, you know we're trying to help you be a better do-it-yourself investor uh, for the rest of your life. Thanks for listening. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com, and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.